0: Today's episode of Dear Old State is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Penn State tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, Easiest way to get into the game, so download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that cock to your advantage and score last-minute tickets. Penn State national champion. Penn State is a national champion.
1: The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions.
0: Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletic's Penn State podcast. The Nittany Lions pummeled Purdue 35 to 7 on Saturday, and now the real season begins. I am Matt Brown, college football editor for The Athletic, and I am joined as always by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. 5 games in, Audrey, how are we feeling? Well,
1: Matt, uh, 5-0, which I guess, I mean, honestly, I think that's what we would have all predicted at this point. Um, But again, Penn State just keeps serving us up with plenty to talk about here on Dear Old State. A friendly reminder to anyone listening today, since Monday's episode is always open to everybody, and Thursday is always a bonus episode for subscribers of The Athletic. Friendly reminder to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, give Give us a review. Let us know how we're doing. But also, Matt, how are these Nittany Lions doing? I mean, five and zero, but again, what we saw in the first quarter, then we saw the what happened in the third quarter, and lot, lot to talk about.
0: I think they're five and zero and have outscored teams forty-seven to seven this year, by an <laughs> average. I think they're doing pretty good. Yeah. I, I think there are definitely some legitimate gripes with how the game progressed. It was, it was a weird game on on Saturday, but I don't know. I think you know a few weeks ago we we're talking about. Uh, you know, slow starts, and why can't this team get off to a good start? And now they're up twenty-eight nothing, and they kind of take the foot off the gas and get sloppy. And now it's why can't they finish the game and and all that? And it's I don't know. I think it was a combination of things. I mean, do you think do you think there's reason for concern after what we saw in the middle of that game?
1: Yes, based off what we saw in the middle, and I just say that because for a team to get off to the start that Penn State did twenty-eight to nothing, I mean touchdowns first four consecutive drives. But then, Matt, you look at the drive chart after this, and let me let me pull it up right here since I did write about it in the upon further, upon further Review piece. Let's say that three times fast. That's up on The Athletic this morning. But you go after that, Matt. Interception. Missed 35-yard field goal. Fumble. Then you have halftime. Followed by punt, 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 punt. Then the No. Cain touchdown. Then a fumble then the victory formation. I mean, you can't have lulls like that in Big Ten play and expect to win a lot of games. However, uh, we did see the 2016 team, which everybody always likes to compare to, got off to really hot starts, uh, and they were streaky. But I just... Had the game not ended how it did, had they not come to life... Later on with that drive, which Noah Kane was behind that, he was the back that series. Then I think we're probably having a little bit of a different conversation today, but no doubt about it, Matt, those lulls were, I mean, it's, as Sean Clifford said after the game Saturday afternoon, uh, he said the third quarter was unacceptable, and he's exactly right. A lot to learn from, but again, you're doing that with a big margin of victory, so there are certainly worse things out there.
0: Well, that's the thing, and I agree, like, yeah, you can't have what they did in in the third quarter. It was It was bad. With that said, you know, other games, they're not going to do that with a 28 to nothing lead. So I just think the way that game played out early, I mean, the game was won the minute John had broke into the open field and scored a 70-yard touchdown. It was like, yeah. Purdue is not winning this game. It's over. And, you know, usually you can't say it that early. It was over. Uh, Actually, Matt, know. I
1: think we might have said that on Thursday <laughs> yeah. on Darrell State. When, you know, without a quarterback, without Rondell Moore, I mean, Purdue yeah. just had no shot.
0: We, I mean, we saw... Early in the game, how Penn State's defense could impose its will on Purdue, and that's what it did the entire game. You know, we talk about the lull in the middle of the game. The defense didn't have a lull beyond one breakdown after a turnover. That's it. Purdue had seven points. Purdue had negative 19 rushing yards because of Penn State's 10 sacks. That's most in 20 years, the most by a Big Ten team since 2007 when Ohio State had 10 against Wisconsin. Purdue had uh, 123 passing yards. They had one third down conversion. They had eight first downs. Penn State was up 28 to nothing, and there was no chance of it losing the game. We, we all knew it, and I think that mindset got into the mindset of the, of the offense, of Ricky Ronnie probably, of the players. You know, Sean Clifford threw that bad interception, and they came back afterwards. It felt like they kind of just went into a shell, were a little conservative, got a little sloppy, and I just think – I think it's not excusing miscues or, or, you know, Penalties. lacking aggressiveness there because there were a lot of mistakes that they can, you know, work to correct. I don't know. I just think, I think the lead did play a big role in just kind of the mindset and they lost focus. I think after the interception, they lost focus. And so, yeah, you're, it's concerning because you don't want to see an offense play that badly for two yeah. quarters, basically. But I also don't think. I think that's just kind of was a unique situation. The air was just kind of out of the stadium. Everybody was like, yeah, well, this game lasted for 10 minutes and that's it. And uh, so. A lot of the I fans, mean,
1: Matt, were just actually getting into the stadium by the time <laughs> Penn State was up like 14, 21, nothing. The
0: perils of a noon game. Yeah. yeah and
1: I remember looking across <laughs> yeah. at the, you know, the blotchy student section and stuff and just thinking, like, do you even come in for this? Like, I, I guess part of that too, Matt, talking about the lulls and everything. Uh, that happened there. Credit Purdue and and what they did defensively. Talking with Jahan Dotson after the game, he said, you know, what he noticed, what KJ Hamler noticed was that Purdue was going to, you know, sit back, keep everything in front of him, keep it underneath, work on kind of that intermediate passing game. Um, And that's what teams are going to do because the explosive plays are such a big part of this offense, such a key piece to Penn State. And they track this thing every week. Um, Typically, If James Franklin doesn't mention the explosive play battle in his press conference after the game, it means they did not hit it, and he did not mention it uh, after the game Saturday, and I crunched the numbers on Sunday, and they did not hit it, which was the second time this season that they failed to convert 16% of their plays into explosive gains, Uh, which is pretty remarkable when you think about how they started that game. Uh, And the fact that, you know, you had a 72-yard touchdown. Nick Bowers had a big catch. K.J. Hamler had a big play. Um, You had some nice nice intermediate, you know, 20-plus-yard rushes. But I just think it's a matter, Matt, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they got complacent. And that's a good lesson for this team to learn and to learn it in a win because you can't – this stretch run coming up here, this is what everybody – we've all been talking about all year, okay – what happens with Iowa? What happens, you know, for Michigan for that whiteout for whatever time that game's going to be played. What, you know, what happens during that whiteout? What happens in November, you know, in the horseshoe, these are the games where you can't have lapses like that and expect to win. So undoubtedly a lot of lessons to learn, but yeah, Purdue did do, uh, did do some nice things defensively. Sean Clifford mentioned that Purdue is throwing all different kinds of defenses at him, which he said, you know, Hey, that's, that's what you want to do. That's what they should do. Um, but Penn State's defense has been remarkable all season. I mean, negative 19 yards on the ground for the Boilermakers. I mean, you just don't see numbers like that very often. Ten sacks, three from Shaka Tony. Uh, defense did what you there wanted no to lull. see do.
0: They, did, they yeah. did not lose focus except for maybe one drive after a turnover, which happens sometimes. And, and David know, not, Bell, yeah.
1: who John Reed was was matched up on, um, did not kill them by any means. I mean, he had that one 43-yard reception, which was like that Purdue's was biggest play. But yeah, I mean, was he's a really play. good receiver. <laughs> so I thought that was Reed their only really play nice over
0: 15 yards. And yeah. again, this was not a full-strength Purdue team. They didn't have one of the best players in the country. They didn't have their starting quarterback. They're injured at running back, but still, I mean, the way we were wondering a little bit, okay, the pass rush has been a little inconsistent early in the year. They just, I mean, Purdue had no chance. They, they could yeah. not block Shaka Tony. They could not keep up with them. They could not block anybody up front, really. And you look at Penn State now, okay, so we were wondering about the pass rush. Um, Penn State now leads the nation in sacks per game at five per game, Uh It's a big number. They had had seven against Idaho, only one against Buffalo, only then they had three against Pitt, which kind of came on late, Uh, four against Maryland, and ten against Purdue. Penn State also leads the country in tackles for loss per game at 10.4, and sacks are included in run defense in college football, and Penn State leads the nation in average yards per rush because of all those negative plays, but – Also, because they really have not given up big runs either. So, 1.46 yards per rush. They're giving up 50 rushing yards per game. Again, that includes sacks, but either way, it's very, very impressive. Um, Penn State is second in the nation in yards per play allowed. They've given up 37 points in five games, which is second in the country. And, you know, even the defense or even the pass defense had, you know, didn't play great against Pitt, but they are 14th in the country in passing efficiency defense. Three touchdowns allowed, four interceptions. Defense is. I mean, look, the, the schedule hasn't been great to start the year. Yep. But you can't ask for more in terms of what the actual like. There's been problems with some third and longs. There's been there were problems with against the passing game against Pitt. But you look at the numbers: thirty-seven points in five games. What it's like? What more do you want?
1: Yeah, and for the second consecutive week, uh, the Penn State defense has held its opponent to explosive plays to under 6%. Their goal is 10% or Incredible. less at under 6 I mean, they came at a, in at 5.36% this week. Uh, I mean, that's remarkable. And you look at especially what they've been able to do against the run. Um, Purdue had a rush for 14 yards in the third quarter, and that was their longest run of the game. I mean, it, it's really been remarkable how they've forced teams to become one-dimensional. And then when even teams have become one-dimensional, they still haven't moved the ball. Again, a lot of that's the opponent. Um, And I don't want to spoil our Iowa episode too much for Thursday, Matt, but you're going to need this defense. Um, If you get into a slugfest, a rock fight, whatever could happen in Kinnick Stadium, um, you're going to need this defense to be playing with confidence, and it sure has a lot of it right now.
0: And, you know, I mentioned sacks being a part of you know rushing numbers Mm -hmm. and and Purdue had negative 19 rushing yards. But, okay, you take away that 14-yard run from the leading rusher, And he had 10 carries for 12 yards. So it's not just the sacks. It is everything. Like, you know, Pitt got absolutely nothing going in the running game. Maryland's offense was hopeless in that game except for, like, one drive. Purdue's offense was hopeless except for one drive. And we knew Penn State – you know, we knew they had this potential. You know, you go into the year, it's like, okay, this is maybe the fastest Penn State defense we've ever seen. And we know they had a good pass rush. We know they had some veterans in the secondary. And this most of this game happened without Tariq Castro-Fields, who's played very yes. well this year. And he's, he missed the second half last week, missed a big chunk of this game too with, with another injury. Um, but, you know, Eturk Gross Matos is playing well now. You know, we, we, he was a little quiet early in the year. He's playing well. You know, Shaka Tony showing that potential. The defensive tackles have played well. Michael Parsons comes back from the targeting and has two tackles for loss, made some big plays. It's just... You know, across the board, it was there's like, there's really no complaint about the defense on on Saturday. And when we're talking about the offense had a a bad two quarters, the defense did not. So you got to just, you know, hats off to the defense and Brent Prize unit who, Looks like one of the best defenses in the country. They'll be tested more coming up. Although Iowa scored three points against Michigan, so we'll see.
1: Yeah, and I think too, Matt. You know, if we're looking at things to nitpick and complain about, which I mean, let's be honest, that's uh, that's what I'm now I'm in the business of, right? <laughs> um, you know, you're always trying to look for that that fair and balanced approach. And one of the things that's popped up here as of late, uh, the special teams. I thought that was really bizarre on Saturday. Um, they had a bad game. They had yeah. A bad game. <laughs> and you know what? Again, it's if you can have a bad game and still win by a comfortable margin, kind of a, a good time to get it out of the system, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it was just very weird. I mean, I thought you looked at, and part of it, I asked James Franklin about it after the game. And he said, you know, part of it is some of these were just kind of freak fluke plays, like, you know, the ball hitting off of Jonathan Sutherland's knee and that
0: sort of thing. But Or the ball landing on somebody's head.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was weird. And it's yeah. like, you know, you don't, I get it. Teams don't want to kick to KJ Hamler. So they're coming up with different things to do. And how do they punt? What kind of style punt are they using? Um so I thought that was an interesting
0: answer that you had in your in your analysis, like James yeah. Franklin breaking down like what teams are actually doing to not let KJ Hamler beat them. And, and that is interesting. And it it's something that it's hard to practice because teams are doing so many different things to just not let him beat them.
1: It really is. And it's such a challenge when you look at like, okay, like I get it you want to neutralize this guy, but Everybody, you know, what What happens to the other 10 guys when that happens? And so I think that's going to be something to continue to keep an eye on. Um, but on top of that, I mean, Jake Pinniger misses 35-yard field goal. Um, Jordan Stout, after being tremendous for much of this year, um, for the second week in a row, didn't have his best game, kicked the ball out of bounds.
0: Uh, Our minds are blown. If we can't believe in these I know, kickoffs, what can we believe in I at know. this point? I know.
1: Um, and it, it was said, uh, I won't say by who in the press box that perhaps since it was homecoming, special teams wanted to revert to their old ways. Um, I mean, I think it's, but again, just it's better
0: fun. to do it when you're up 28 to nothing in a game that can't be lost at least. So. Yeah. It's not like this
1: has happened every week this year. Uh, I think this was probably just more of a, a one and done type of deal, but well, yeah, this um, is the
0: first time we're talking about special teams mistakes, isn't it? I mean, yeah,
1: I mean, it's, it's been
0: just very clean so far this year until, until now.
1: And we actually got to see their, their kick return unit
0: for a couple times, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, we haven't
1: seen a whole heck of a lot of him. And I asked Joe Lorig last week on a conference call, um, which was the first time we had been talking to him since the season started, and uh, one of the things I asked him, I said, hey, you know, this whole – you mentioned when we sat down in the summer about you wanted Michael Parsons to get a shot back there as a kick returner. Like, where – like, is that ever going to happen? Do you still think that way? Uh, and he said that, yeah, they still want to do that now – of course, they didn't do that. He said last Thursday that James Franklin and, and himself were going to have a conversation about potentially putting Micah back there against Purdue. Well, it didn't happen. Um, K.J. Hamler was still back there. Journey Brown was still back there. But uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Maybe they really do want to do that. I mean, I get it. They've had limited opportunities. Um, but And Hamler even said, too, I mean, he's got be, to be better back there uh, with some of the punt returns. I mean, you see he takes the one line drive punt that came at him. Uh, muffs it, but did recover. I mean, it, there's just so much back there. There's so much potential when you look at the returners, um, but there's definitely a lot of stuff to clean up too.
0: It's a little frightening, but also exhilarating watching Hamler just try to just make something out of a loss And reverse situation. the entire field. Because like, <laughs> you know, at some point he, like he is going to pull a Devin Hester and just yeah. like make everybody look silly and run 10 yards backward and then score an 80 yard touchdown. Like he's probably going to do that at some point. It's going to create some negative plays, but it's kind of like, Kind of sometimes like Saquon's Saquon Barkley's running, where it's like, yeah, you're gonna take some negative plays, but he's gonna do something ridiculous in a little bit. Like, and we, we know Hamler has that potential. He tried, he definitely tried to do a little too much at times on Saturday, but uh, it was the type of game where he they could afford to do that. So, uh, he, I don't know. He, he's every time he touches the ball, you you think something something incredible could happen, and that you know, even when there's mistakes, I think you take those mistakes with with yeah. the big play potential.
1: And I think you're right on that, Matt, because there's always kind of that upside, right? You have the risk there of, okay, maybe they lose five yards here. Maybe they lose eight yards, but you know, when, he, when he connects or you know, when he catches the ball, when he gets a return. Um, uh, there's just that feeling. And I know I mentioned it on here before that excitement in the stadium where you can see people actually stand up or move to the edge of their bleacher seat when he touches the ball. Um, so that's, Certainly special. Um, and while we're on the special teams, I did note uh in upon further review that's up this morning on the athletic that Penn State on the kick coverage team was using three true freshmen, Brandon Smith, Keaton Ellis, and Joey Porter Jr. Um, I did see, and this is where I know I made my complaint last week about the no names on the back of the jerseys. Uh there was <laughs> also a number eight on special teams. It could have been Marquise Wilson, it could have been John Dunmore. Um, I couldn't tell you who it was. I was trying to zoom in on my camera and figure it out, uh, but both of those guys did play as well. So Dunmore uh, did make his collegiate debut, but yeah, the double numbers, Matt, never, never a good thing.
0: Well, while you bring that up, though, four players now have officially burned their red shirts, uh, and it's not a surprise. But Noah yeah. Kane, Devin Ford, uh, Keaton Ellis, and Brandon Smith. Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't. Th- maybe Devin Ford would have been a surprise before the year, but obviously we knew. These guys, all these running backs were going to play. Um, sure looks like Joey Porter Jr. and Adissa Isaac will probably burn their red shirts as yeah. well. They're at four games and no sign of them not playing at this point.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, you you look at what they're doing and who they're playing. And Penn State wanted to get done more in this game. Um, Hakeem Beeman also made his debut as well. So that's, you know, one game for him. But This season, they've gotten a lot of guys. I mean, for Wilson, this was the second game uh, that he got in there. He also played against Purdue. And he got some reps at corner late in the game, too, uh, which is big. So, I mean, again, we didn't see Lance Dixon. We didn't see Caden Wallace. But that's by design, as I had mentioned last week. Penn State had changed their plans on redshirting and wanted to hold those guys off. So those guys are both sitting at three games. And then at two games, you got Devon Ellis and, and Marquise Wilson. And then... You've had a whole bunch of guys who've made collegiate debuts already with Smith-Vilbert, Brenton Strange, Salim Wormley, and then, of course, Dunmore and Beeman. So, yeah, I mean, the the running back thing, and J. Sider even said it a couple weeks ago, in a perfect world, they would have liked to have redshirt one of these guys, um, but they just absolutely cannot do that. And, Matt, I think that's our segue into our favorite weekly talking point here on Dear Old State, <laughs> uh, the name of the running back, Pick your poison. Uh, I was wrong again. Ricky Slade did not lead the team in rushing. Most um, people
0: were. Eighty percent of voters in my Twitter poll were wrong. Really? Noah Kane only got twenty percent. I think you went with votes. Journey Brown,
1: so you uh you were wrong as well. Right? Oh yeah,
0: no, we were both wrong.
1: <laughs> A weekly tradition here on dear old state.
0: But, uh, I mean. Well, we're not going to spoil Thursday, but are we going to predict Noah Kane against Iowa? Because I mean, it's strange. Like you know, rewatching the game, I and mean, you pointed out too, Journey Brown played the first two series and then wasn't seen again on, at running back until what? The Start of the, the second third half. quarter, yeah. Because the rotation that they have, and it's like Ricky Slade. He had this is kind of a unfortunate trend. He had four carries for two yards, and it's like a couple times he just gets hit right away. Met in the backfield. and then yeah. there were definitely some bigger holes later in the game for Noah Kane, but. So there is a little bit of that. It's like, okay, is, is Ricky Slade even getting a chance to run? Yeah. what's what's like what's the deal? But I mean, we, we knew Noah Kane kinda had this type of style. Where he, well it's it's strange to see it about a freshman though. He's just m- more decisive. He's the most decisive runner of all of them. He gets downhill and gets upfield and then and runs with momentum. He's not huge by any stretch. He, he's you know, but he, he runs a little more pop than the rest of the guys. And he comes in and rushes 12 times, 105 yards, twenty uh, long of 27, had a touchdown, 8.8 yards per carry, uh, th- now at 35 carries for 208 yards this year and five touchdowns. He actually has the second most carries on the team among running, or second most carries on the team behind Sean Clifford. Uh, he has the <laughs> Just most like run, we all predicted. Run, mo- most runs by any running back, even though he has barely played in first halves. Like He's played a little bit, but it's not been a ton. And the so, 12
1: carries for him, Matt, that was the first time a Penn State back uh, had had that many carries in a game this year.
0: So every was, time they they go to him on a series and make an effort to like commit to him, it's it a works. long, sustained drive. Like uh, For the most part. Just, I mean, the
1: Maryland game wasn't. <laughs> yeah. But I guess here's my thing, Matt, and here's what I would like to know, what I, I probably won't get an answer to this week, but what does Noah Cain – need to do to be the starter? Because I think at this point, and James Franklin was asked about it after the game, of course, um, and what he kind of fell back on, he said, you know, yeah, I mean, I think you can make a case that Noah could be the starter, but consistently somebody has to do it in practice and in games. So, again, in the 10 to 12 minutes of practice we see a week, I am not qualified to make that judgment of how Noah Kane is doing in practice, right? But I think that's certainly part of it. But I, I go back to, Matt, that pit game. When the game was in the balance, the offense was struggling, did not look pretty. Noah Cain came in and jump-started that series, right? And after that game, everybody was saying, oh my gosh, you should have put him in. Where was he in the fourth quarter? Well, it's like the same thing again where, okay, you get him involved late. I mean, at the very least, at the very, very, very least, he should be your number two option. He's yes. been more productive than Ricky Slade, and yes, maybe the blocking when Slade is in hasn't been great. Um, but don't forget, I mean, Slade had those first two games of the year where he was the starter as well. So does, we're just starting to
0: see. I mean, Slade. I think it's just they need to get him. In, I don't. I don't think they're using him at. To yeah, the best I agree. Of their, like it's just he's just running up in the middle of the line and on like you know inside zone plays and. I like him catching in passes. Space, I do. get him catching passes. Yeah. Get him in space. Noah Kane, as just a consistent between the tackles runner is the best they have. I think Journey Brown's shown some ability to do it. Uh, I think Devin Ford is also going – I think Devin Ford's going to be a really good yeah. – Really good running back. But Noah Kane so far, if they want to – if the the offense has been inconsistent at times, um, you know, when the big plays aren't hitting, and we saw that in, in the middle of the Purdue game, if they want to sustain drives and move the chains and, and – you know, not have the other team control the ball for 40 minutes, Noah Kane seems to be the best option to sustain drives and to be consistent as a runner. And the offense Isn't needs that what you that, want cause... in
1: the Big Ten, yeah. Matt? Like, isn't that, like, tailor-made for an Iowa, for a Michigan? Like, yes. to me, that's... That's where I think they really have to figure this out because they're
0: going to play Michigan's defense. They're going to play Iowa's defense. The big yeah. plays are not always like these teams can can match up. Penn State has a lot of speed. They're going to make big plays, but they also have a redshirt sophomore quarterback who is, to his credit, been very, very good this year. And but still, they need to take some pressure off of him. And when the running game is getting you know one yard to pop up the middle. That puts a lot of pressure on Clifford. And right now, it's weird to say, but it looks like the freshman is the one who's most capable of taking pressure off of the, the young quarterback.
1: And I think their thing, I'm sure, what they're talking about this week is, okay, will this moment be too big for Noah Kane? That's why they were hesitant to go to him in the Pitt game when the game was It wasn't close. then, yeah. <laughs> and 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 then the thing was, it's like, okay, he proved to you during that series against Pitt that he was fine. Um, I was asking teammates after the game about Noah Kane and say, okay, what – Can you tell us? Because of course, you know, we can't talk to Kane this year because he's a true freshman. That's Penn state's policy. Um, But I mean, I was able to write a big feature on him. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I wrote it uh, in April and I talked with Noah's parents. I talked with him ahead of the Under Armour game, after the Under Armour game, just trying to figure out who this kid was, how he ended up at Penn state, how he thought he could factor in all these sorts of things. And the, the interesting thing is all the teammates that I talked to, like John Dotson, he's like, yeah, Noah has not said much since he's been here. Micah Parsons said, yeah, Noah really doesn't doesn't say much other than he's ready to play and he wants to play. And so, I mean, talk about a guy who's kind of come in, put his head down, doesn't want to make anything about him, at least, you know, the way it seems. But he looks to be, in my opinion, their top option right now. And I this isn't a knee-jerk reaction because I said... During the pit game, hey, this guy should be on the field in the fourth quarter. I think this is the kind of runner that you want. And, Matt, I even went back Saturday night sitting in the press box uh, very late at night questioning my life's decisions. Now, uh, looking through quotes and what James Franklin said after the spring game about Noah Cain, you know, the matter of, you know, his runs might not be the sexiest, but he's always going to get you, you know, two yards. He's always falling forward, right? Yep. That's what they keep saying about this guy. And that to me is just like a no-brainer in the Big Ten. Now, yes, we saw we saw it before with Ricky Slade, where he had, you know, those freshman moments with the fumbles. We saw it with Saquon Barkley even early on where they didn't want to put too much on his plate. So I know that's a factor. Um I know what defenses do certainly impacts who they put in there, but we also didn't see any two-back plays. Um they actually they at one point um they did late in the game they had Ricky's. i believe it was slade and kane were on and they put slade in the slot for like one play um but yeah they got away from that too which i thought was kind of interesting
0: and we should also point out not only did kane have 12 catches or 12 carries for 105 yards he also caught three passes for 25 yards i've liked the kind of increased you know use of the it's a good way to get journey brown involved as well it's a good way to get slade involved to get the backs kind of into space and and catching passes and I think we need to see more of that too, just with that short to intermediate passing game. They have the running backs who can catch passes. It looks like all of them can, and they have the tight ends to do it too. So it's, it shouldn't be a big player bust offense because they have the ability to have to, to beat teams in a lot of ways, especially if they kind of commit to knocking in the running game. But I I do want to give a shout out, as I said, tight ends to Nick Bowers. Yeah. uh, Who had three catches for 66 yards. Also had a nice game against Maryland guy who's had a lot of injury problems and to come out and Penn State has two legit tight ends. It looks like right now.
1: Yeah. Bowers, you know, for the second week in a row had, had a big game. And I mean, I remember Matt when, when he was like a freshman, when he was a sophomore, um, Penn State was really, really high on Nick Bowers. They thought a lot of him. They thought he was going to be really special, all these kinds of things. And then the injuries just kept happening, just kept piling up. He couldn't stay on the field. Um, and he's really taken advantage, you know, of his opportunities and conversely, you kind of look at it and Pat Fryermuth hasn't had a reception, um, of 15 plus yards since the opening drive of the pit game. So that's, I mean, that's a long stretch, but a big reason for that, of course, is because of what Bowers, uh, has been able to do. So that's been, I think a pleasant development, uh, for Penn state, but going back to your point, Matt, about this offense being boom or bust and, you know, how do you kind of figure that out um our good friends at sports info solutions with all the numbers all the metrics all these important things that we need um on passes that clifford has thrown this year passes that have traveled 20 yards or more through the air sean clifford is 9 of 27 for 278 yards with five touchdowns and two picks against purdue on such throws again 20 plus yards through the air He was 2 of 5 for 45 yards with one touchdown and, of course, the one interception uh, on the ball intended for Hamler.
0: For context, that's like, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, that's like probably middle of the pack, maybe a Mm -hmm. little bit below middle of the pack in terms of QB rating, throwing downfield, because obviously you're going to complete a lower percentage of your passes, but it's certainly been inconsistent. And we saw that in the Pitt game, and then it just kind of went away in the Purdue game.
1: Yeah, and it's something where Clifford said, you know, again, after the game, he's like, you know, I've got to get better on it. Um, He needs to be a little bit more accurate. But, you know, you take away that element of the offense, and it's kind of like what we saw in the the third quarter, where it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Can you consistently move the ball? How are you going to rely on the run game? And, you know, going back to the backs really quick, I mean, that's a long layoff to do what they did, which basically was two series for Journey Brown, then two series for Ricky Slade, then two series for Noah Kane. And and it's like, that's... you got to get these guys in a rhythm somehow. I think, Matt, maybe this is the week coming up where we see more Brown and Kane, and occasionally you spell them with a third guy. Whoever that third guy is, I think you can make a case either way. Um, but I think they're going to have to narrow that rotation down a little bit because the layoff there to me was really, really stunning.
0: I think this is the week we start seeing the entire team rotation narrowed down a little bit. I mean, We saw yeah. that in some of the bigger games last year. It's on the road it's against one of the best teams on the schedule I know Iowa just again scored three points against Michigan but we know they're a good team and playing at Kinnick Stadium at at night it's it's you know a tough environment and you know the other thing about I do want to give a shout out to our friend Tyler Donahue from 24-7 who had a tweet this week weekend who said uh, we just mentioned Nick Bowers he's the only senior who has scored a touchdown this year yeah. And Tyler pointed out that only one stat. touchdown has been scored by a senior and one by a junior. There were 28 touchdowns by sophomores and freshmen. So, and then the other thing I saw this week, um, ESPN, I would I had the Virginia Tech-Miami game on. Okay. And they put up a graphic that said, fewest seniors on FBS rosters this season. Virginia Tech, five. Texas A&M, six. Penn State, ten. Penn State has the third fewest seniors on its roster in the FBS out of 130 teams. So, What does that tell us, right? They hit a big lull against Purdue. We knew those types of things might come. This is a young roster, especially on offense. Mm -hmm. And we knew there would be growing pains. And fortunately, some of those growing pains showed in a 28 when they were already up by 28 points. But we knew there would be growing pains this year. They're still figuring out who they are. They're still trying to maintain focus for 60 minutes. And so I, I think... There's some legit criticism there for sure, but it's also, okay, this is also kind of what we expected. Like, the offense would need time to figure things out. And th- through five games, they've done what they need to do. They barely did against Pitt. But overall, they've done what they need to do. They're 5-0. and And now, really, everybody kind of expected them to be 5-0. and So it's the real season begins with at Iowa, Michigan, at Michigan State. And even at Minnesota, who's undefeated yeah. right now.
1: Yeah, that's that's going to be a, an interesting one, too. And I think part of it, Matt, is, you know, and, and this is every team, right? The injuries start kind of piling up this time of year. And how do you make it through? How do you have that depth? And going back to the point about the number of seniors on this roster, I mean, that was when you go back to the transfer portal, right? And I think people were, because of the sheer number of, of kids who left the program, I think people were making a bigger deal of it than it was in terms of talent level. It was all kind of like, "Hey, wasn't a lot this of guys gonna who to play
0: big roles, yeah?"
1: Right. Yes. Like this, this was bound to happen because of where they stood. Like it wasn't some kind of program issue. Um, you brought in these big time recruiting classes, and these kids are going to play. And for the most part, they have played and they've played well, and most of them have performed well. Um, but going along with that, we did not see wide receiver Justin Shorter. Um, if you remember, he took that shot to the head in the Maryland game. Uh, he did not dress on Saturday, but he was standing on the sidelines. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown also wasn't dressed. So you look at the receiving core and you say, okay, you know, what do you have there behind Hamler, behind Jahan Dotson? You know, you see Daniel George get more involved. You saw Dan Chacina get more involved. Um, we also haven't seen cornerback Donovan Johnson in a few weeks, he didn't make the trip to Maryland. He was in street clothes for the game. Um, if if I recall correctly, he got banged up late in the pit game around the goal line, so I'm assuming it's related to that. And as we mentioned earlier, cornerback Tariq Castro-Fields uh, didn't play in the second half again this week. He kind of limped off at one point. He went to the locker room, and then he stayed in uniform, but was like sitting on the training table for pretty much the entire second half. So that, Matt, is going to be certainly worth keeping an eye on this week because we're still waiting to see Justin Shorter take that next step. And, I mean, yep. injuries are what slowed him down his freshman year. Uh, now you have to wonder, you know, when does he get back on the field and what can he do for this offense? Because in the heart of Big Ten play, you got to have multiple playmakers. And I think Penn State, that's where they're still kind of trying to figure out their footing. and And so is everybody else, right? Let's be honest. Maybe except, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. Like, everybody else is still trying to figure it out, too.
0: Yeah, and Penn State did move into the top 10 this week. I moved Penn State up to number 9, and it's not just cuz they beat Ooh. Purdue, but it, I just I'm buying into the defense. Yeah. And to give up 37 points in five games, regardless of the opponents. I mean, they've played two Big 10 games. They played Pitt, who uh, you know, also beat UCF and and has shown some flashes at least this year. And so I I'm there's still a lot to prove and everything is going to sort itself out the next few weeks, but um <sighs> Again, they're outscoring opponents by forty points per game this year, and they're in the top ten in yards per play on offense and defense. There have been problems, but overall, you look at the numbers and how they've performed, and it's it's been pretty good. And we'll we'll, again we'll learn everything when they play all of these (laughs) the best teams on their schedule. uh, But it's I, I still think there is a very high ceiling with this group whether that high ceiling is 2020 or 2019 we will soon find out
1: yeah I, I think you're spot on with that Matt because somebody asked me in my I guess it was Sunday in my on my story Saturday after the game they asked me they're like Audrey you said Penn State you predicted they'd go eight and four do you still feel that way um I, you know he's sitting out five and oh Matt I I don't know because it's harder big, to
0: feel that way. Even when you knew the schedule was set up this way, it's yeah. just harder to feel that way.
1: I mean, it, it's like you look at it and you're like, okay. I mean, now that you've seen Iowa lose, you've seen Michigan lose, like yep. it, it seems like things could break Michigan Penn State's, State's
0: offense way. is not very good, even though they always – Brian Lewerke decides to be Tom Brady against Penn State. Yeah. Their offense <laughs> is not good.
1: Yeah, it's I not. mean, it's just like – I guess maybe what I'm saying is the rest of the Big Ten perhaps is a little bit more flawed than I thought. Um, yeah. probably than a lot of us thought, but I mean, credit to Penn state for taking care of business and getting here five and zero. but now it's a matter of going on the road into an environment that not everybody on, I mean, not everyone on this roster has been to Kinnick before. Um, so you have to kind of take that into account. And I did have to laugh. I asked Jesse Lucchetta what he knows, you know, if anything, has he heard any stories of Kinnick stadium of playing there, um, And he said that he has talked to like a few coaches and players, of course, who'd been there. uh, And they told him to keep his helmet on because he's afraid that if he takes his helmet off, they're going to pass it through the stands and he won't get his helmet back. Yeah, the fans Um, are
0: very close to the sideline there.
1: Yes, insanely close. I remember a couple years ago, uh, Saquon Barkley was having a good, like, fun back and forth with the fans. uh, And they were giving him crap. He was, you know, talking back to them. But it was a very, like, very Midwest, like, nice trash talking, you know? It wasn't like we were in, like, New York, New Jersey. So uh, it was a good back and forth. And then after the game, Barkley, because uh, I caught it on video, and he laughed about it afterward, and he's like, oh, yeah, I saw you, you caught that. Uh, he went over and shook the fans' hands and said, hey, like, good game. Like, pretty much thanks for making this extra fun. Uh, and that's what that <laughs> environment is. I mean, it is a blast. I think night games there are fantastic.
0: KJ Hamler's going to have himself a good time. Oh,
1: he's going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm very curious to see how Penn State handles going into that environment uh, because it's just a fantastic spot for college football. And really, Matt, what a good, maybe not a good time uh, to catch this Iowa team, though. I mean, we'll get more into it Thursday, but yeah, they, they certainly look like they are flawed at this point.
0: Well, we shall see. We will talk more about that matchup in depth with our subscriber-only podcast on Thursday. Uh, please subscribe to The Athletic if you have not, but we appreciate you listening to Dear Old State. Uh, that will do it for the Monday post-Purdue edition. Penn State is 5-0, ranked in the top 10, in a primetime matchup at Iowa. What more do you want? Uh, should be a good week. Should be a fun week. So thanks, to, thanks for listening to Dear Old State, and we will see you Thursday. <laughs>